ugly pea green, yes. made in Utah. <laughs> Try hole. So uh, and so we just went on a business trip. Well, we kind of did a two business two point business trip. So I I'm a huge boater, and so like everyone in the boating community knows me. So the state uh, the Bureau of um, Outdoor Recreation in the boating department asked me to go down and do some filming with them, and they were like, well, let's call Jordan. He knows a lot of people. So called all my contacts. We created an organization. I told Avid about it, and then it was uh, we kind of did kill two birds with one stone, like. Because we're we're about the boat life and golf and business, and so I was like, "Ab, let's make this a let's uh let's kill two birds with one stone here." And uh, so we went down and did the video shoot for them, but then we all wore Barden stuff, and so everything's gonna get plastered, you know, with Barden, and so it's gonna be like media for us. But um, on our way down, we read your bio, and you have a lot of tech words that I didn't understand. <laughs> I was like trying to figure out, like, okay, so. Okay, he does sales, but it's a technology, and then it was just like, we were like trying to figure it out. So that's why we're like, you know what, when he's here, let's have him. That, that, that's not a tenth of it. The acronyms in our industry are far and wide. So, yeah, that, that's uh, when we hired uh, our my, my admin, she started her own document of words that she didn't understand, and our one-on-ones every, every week were, what does this mean? Give me context. What is, yeah, so, yeah. I bet the list was long. The, the list is long. Yeah, I mean, er, everything from, you know, look, just just security has its own thesaurus of <laughs> acronyms and yeah. what does that mean. But, you know, inter, Internet Service has SD-WAN and all of these other things that you layer on. VPN, it, it's, yeah, there's a lot of acronyms that right. we as an industry take for granted because we've just kind of grown up in it. Yeah, right. exactly. Well, speaking of that, like, how did you get into this industry? Like, what was, you said you were kind of, jack of all trades doing everything like what got you into doing what you're doing now like was it a job that you just saw an opportunity for or did you see something you're like this is a need and we need to build out something for I, it I, I can't claim to have been that that brilliant that's <laughs> yeah. uh so some of it was luck i mean obviously along the way you're identifying opportunity and you're saying oh okay i can go fill this gap but really getting into it was just uh, a bit necessity i had uh um, as a 20 year old kid got married and married my high school sweetheart and was al always thought I was going to be an attorney. I was working mm. at a law office at the time. Yeah. Um, had worked my way from kind of like file clerk to office manager and, and those things and had to make the decision for the, the law offices, phone lines uh, and an internet, which back then was DSL. <laughs> yes, I know another acronym. <laughs> you guys have probably never even seen DSL. Oh, I, I've yeah, seen, I, I, I was yeah, I was a kid, but I didn't understand it yeah. anyway. So. so I had to make that decision, which gave me exposure to a company that that then was called Quest, which is now CenturyLink and Lumen, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so when they, I, it was my senior year of college, I saw a, a job posting to. to go work in the sales and marketing department at Quest, which, well, US West, which shortly became Quest. Yep. And then I left and, and carried a bag at XO. I was a sales rep at XO. They went bankrupt. Hmm. And right before they went bankrupt, this is a little bit of a, a side story, but I think it's important to kind of who I am, Yeah, yeah. is um, right before that, they'd given us a presentation of why they weren't going to go bankrupt. 
Hmm. Like, here's the PowerPoint. We want you to go teach all of your customers about how financially sound we are. Here's our here's our financial backers, all of it. So I went and, and presented to the CFO of Norbest Turkey why we weren't going to go bankrupt. And like two months later, we went bankrupt. And I get this phone call. Again, I'm a 20-something-year-old kid. Yeah. And he calls and he says, I will never, ever buy from you, no matter where you end up. I, I don't Ugh. believe in you. You're a tiger. I'm like, I'm just doing what they told me to do. <laughs> right. I don't, I don't understand. So anyway, I I realized at that time I was not cut out to be a traditional sales person. Yeah. Um, especially if I had to tell a single company line. If I had to toe the line of this is who you should buy. Mm-hmm. And so what we do, which, look, I've done it for 20 years. My family still has no idea what we do because it's such a unique <laughs> business model. Yeah. Um, but we represent every supplier out there. Mm-hmm. And so our sales reps don't have to be beholden to a quota. They don't have to, to tow the company line. Yeah. If supplier X is not good this year, which is always the case, right? They, mm-hmm. they ebb and flow. A supplier will be really good, and then next week or next year they're not. Yeah. They bring in new leadership, whatever. We don't have to tow the company line. We sell who is the right fit for the customer at the time, who's executing. And that that's more core to who I am. And so I kind of stumbled into it. They, well, what did you do right after? So it went bankrupt. So you yeah, yeah. the call, Exo, my job's done. Exo declares bankruptcy um, and a ton of us left. And, and several went and became independent agents for a company called Carrier Sales. And I got a phone call from a friend of mine, Blake Darling. And um, he had just become a partner and he, he's one of the best cold callers you've ever, ever met. Yeah. Um, and he, he dressed up as Santa Claus in July and went door to door and oh. came back with a stack of, of, of business cards. That's my guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. need his number. <laughs> he lives around here. Good. Too. All right. Good. Good. Um, but I used to build his proposals, even though yeah. we had the same position. I just was more ops, more, you know, I was yeah. really good at Excel and all of those things. And so he had shown up at this company called Carrier Sales, who at the time had two 19-year-old girl employees, the founders, and and uh, one other person that I had worked with at U.S. West, who still works for me hmm. 20-something years later. Um, anyway, he got me an interview there, and uh, I I stepped in as general manager of a company, candidly, about your, your guy's size and was, yeah. was chief bottle washer and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> taking out the garbages. But, you know, I was doing quotes and commissions. And the, at the time, they were still handwriting checks. And Man. because of my background at the law office as their bookkeeper, I moved us over into QuickBooks. Um, so, but that, that was 20 years ago. And hmm. then um, just over time, I got a... I was on a profit sharing agreement and then I bought out one of the owners and then in 2011 I bought out uh, the owner in full and yeah and then you know the rest of the story is probably where we'll spend some of our time yeah <laughs> yeah that's crazy that's, yeah I mean as sales like that the, that story of that guy telling you that he's never gonna buy from you wherever you're at that that that's a that's a hard heavy thing yeah and, that's you who know, you are like and, and like what you said, you were just doing what you were told. Like they were telling you that this, you know, whatever. And, and, and that, that's, as a salesperson, that's like, that's one thing that you, 
it's, it's hard to gain that integrity, you know, um, in the first place as a salesperson. And so, man, that's a, that's deep, man. (laughs) It's become core to who I am to never be in a position that I, I have to, or that I'd be in a position to allow my integrity to be questioned. Right. I just, I refuse to, to do it. I'd Mm -hmm. rather walk away from something at this point. Yeah. Right. Cool. Yeah. Unfortunately, sometimes hard lessons have to be learned to get to that point, right? It's sometimes something that's like, I didn't know I even had to worry about this. But now when you go into anything, you're like, okay, let's make sure, check everything and make sure that I'm not doing that, being proactive. To have the stance that you're talking about, you have to be proactive in doing it, not just reactive and like, let's see what happens. Well, and so, you know, so often we just get pulled into um, what is normal. And, and what, yeah. we're, what we're told is, is how you do things. Mm-hmm. And as I kind of sit back and look at what, I mean, whether it's my career, but honestly, all the way back to like being a teenager, yeah. I, I've had to learn this lesson a few times over and over of I'm best, I'm, I'm, I'm happiest, I'm most successful when I'm not doing the, the, the normal thing. Whatever normal is. Right. But we have success, we get complacent, we get pulled into just going with the flow, and then you you wake up and you realize, oh, I'm either not happy or I'm not seeing the same success that I had. Time to go back. Yeah, I feel like so many people are kind of just coasting, right? And coasting is not fun. It's just, like you're saying, just sticking with the status quo. Yeah, I've had that opportunity. Um, several times also where you wake up and you're like, well, I'm just time to step on the gas again, do something different. I don't know if you feel comfortable sharing this here, but do you have an example of something you did walk away from because you weren't hundred percent sure that your integrity, you're like something big that you're like, I gave that up. That's here's a good example of what I didn't do because of that. Um, there's, yeah, there's probably a couple, I think a more recent one that comes to mind. I'll, I'll be a little bit careful in how much I share. Yeah. I, I think ultimately we, my, myself and our company will be judged by the deals we didn't do. Right. So our, our industry right now is going through a lot of um, acquisitions and just where, where it's shrinking down to the number of players in what we do. And we've become number one in our space, but, you know, the top three are all really neck and neck. And so a tuck-in acquisition here or there can really swing the, the overall production. And recently there was a, a deal out there that the, the, there are a lot of people there at that company that I liked, that I would consider peers that I wanted on the team. Um, and it would have been a, a big acquisition and we were in kind of pole position for it. And, but we knew what the owner's multiple was. Yeah. And, um, the reality to pull that off is we would have had to have let go 50, 55% of the company to hit his multiple based on, on what they're, well, not even a multiple. He, it wasn't a multiple. He wasn't profitable enough to have hit that number, but that was what he wanted in his mind. Yeah. And uh, so we walked away from it because the, the impact on culture, on our reputation in the industry, like I am... I want to grow. I want to win. I want to be yeah. number one, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to do it if that means impacting that many people's lives. We all have to make hard decisions at some point on yeah. letting somebody go or whatever. But to be an axe man, mm-hmm. I wouldn't sleep. And yeah. so, as our partner, my partners and I looked at that deal, 
Um, there are all kinds of great synergies, all kinds of great things we could have done, mm -hmm. but not at that level of expense. Yeah. And were all the partners aligned with saying, yep? Yeah. Oh. yeah. It, it was it, it was such a fast decision. And yeah. Not, not just partners, but in our board meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we brought in some capital partners about two and a half years ago, and we like self-selected them based on the, what we wanted out of a capital partner, Yeah. which this was a reaffirming moment of picking the right people because they cared mm -hmm. about that too. Right? Yeah. It wasn't just, hey, this, yeah, we're going to be bigger and we're going to have more. You got to do it the right way. Yeah. Love that. Yeah, I want to, so I, I want to kind of get into the gears of, you know, after you, you know, 20 years ago, you kind of started building and partnering. I kind of want to go over kind of that process of, you know, what are some of the things you did, like picking the right people? Because like, as we're growing, we want to be able to have the same similar story, picking the right people and, and keep growing. You know, can you like just kind of talk about that process and what that looked like to get to where you're at right now, you know? Yeah, little by little. I mean, the, the reality is our industry is so new and so unique that, that it's been discovering itself th throughout this, this process. Um, when, when I got into it, what we do didn't exist. And maybe I should explain what we yeah, do. That, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, to, just to our listeners, yeah, what is it, you know? And so we understand it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I am, yeah. And, and look, like I said, I've tried to explain this to my family and, and failed. Um, but I'll, I'll give you a kind of like how I tell my barber what it is that we do. Okay. Um, we, we are essentially a middleman to a technology buying experience, two businesses only. And so it started out as, as brokering long distance. So back in the day, long distance was AT&T and Verizon and, and resellers of those companies. And a business, you know, long distance honestly used to be like 11 cents a minute. When I first got into this, maybe if you were doing a lot, you were in the five cent range. Well, we could sell it for two cents through, through a reseller who was buying it from Verizon they would put it on their own bill. They'd negotiate better rates based on their volume. So then we could take that and go sell that to a business customer at a lower rate and um, then get paid a commission. So we, we we're free to a customer and we get paid a commission by whatever supplier we're selling. And in the early days, it was like five suppliers and then it became 50. Now, we now have 330 suppliers with 150 knocking on the door wanting us to sell them. But to rewind all the way back, the, the other unique element is we don't employ any salespeople. So the, the entirety of our employee staff are support, order entry, pricing, uh, engineering, those types of things, whereas our salespeople are all independent businesses in and of themselves. Okay. Many are former, uh, you know, worked for AT&T, worked for CenturyLink, direct reps, left, wanted to be able to go tell the same story I did of, hey, I, I want to be able to sell my customer whatever it is they need. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to hit a quote. I want to sell them, hey, hey, this supplier fits here and this supplier, here you go. Here's both of them or here's three options. Which one do you like the most? And so that, that's like what a Blake Darling or, you know, I mean, there's a ton of them. And Utah is a huge hub of partners. If you look at like the per capita, I mean, we're, na we're international now, but per capita, a lot of the top partners are here in Utah. Hmm. Um, but it was all within enabling those individual companies to sell. 
some of our partners are actually companies larger than us, mm. where where they're in providing equipment and con, you know engineering consulting services, whatever. And this is an element of hey, I'm in there, you know, providing the computers, providing whatever it works. I might as well ask the question, hey, what internet are you using? Do you need Zoom or or Vonage or Ring Central? I can help you do that. So our business model is to connect suppliers to to salespeople who then connect to the customer, and that's what's really. Uh, Hard for people to no, understand. Is it? It's a three-legged stool. You probably didn't start that way, though, right? When did you start having independent salespeople? Sorry, if it's, interrupt you. It started hybrid. It honestly, okay. th there were a couple of pure players. So, like the number one in the industry for a long time, they were all they were almost always just independent sales reps. But Carrier Sales started out, and he well, in Tolaris, which I merged into six years ago, started out with with the owner selling. Okay. And and so to get the the volume that you needed, um, yeah, you you were, you had a little bit of a direct sales model coupled with this uh, this hybrid. Hey, you can in some cases use our logo, but you're still an independent 1099. Yeah. Um, and so it evolved, and there were decision points. Candidly, probably the biggest decision in my career um, was. Well, when I became president of Carrier Sales, we were still hybrid, and the owners had kind of that—that that was the where they wanted to take the company, and I just made the decision to say we're we're going partner only, and we got rid of direct, and we committed ourselves to being a company that enabled others <coughs> to to grow their companies, and and that's really when we took off, which then enabled me to you know, go do other things. Wow. we got a long way to go. Uh, we're, yeah, we, we still, that is awesome. That is inspiring because like, like part of this is like what we want to do is we, because we're in the situation where we don't know which direction. We have a direction that we want to go, but like, like you said, we might create something that might not exist, you know, um, future, you know, and so um, thanks for sharing that. That's, uh, that's really fun. And so, um, anyway, Come how do you, so you like 20 years ago, what you do now didn't exist. How do you see the industry you're currently in evolving? So in 15 or 20 years, you might not be doing something that currently exists. How do you see what you do right now evolving in the future? Yeah. I mean, some of it is, it's just dragging us along. So like we started long distance only mm -hmm. and then, and then, then Quest US West allowed us to sell local services. So we started brokering PRIs and and, and regular phone lines and DSL and those things. Um, and then as the technology evolved or, or other suppliers came into the market, um, it evolved into those other technologies. The reality is, is uh, it used to be like 80% of our business was traditional network internet stuff. Yeah. Now it's less than 50% of our business to where we're selling cloud contact centers uh, with, with, with NICE and Contact. They're a Utah-based company. They're the Gartner Magic Quadrant leader. We're their number one partner. Well, that didn't exist yeah. six years ago. Yeah. We, we kind of invented the channel part with them in mm -hmm. doing that into where now like the NICE, or the, the competitors of NICE, the Genesis, the Five9, the Avias created a channel because of what we were doing with NICE. Um, in the last couple of years, we started doing security consulting. 
that that wasn't even, that didn't exist. There was no channel for consulting. Um, it used to just be customers bought direct from whatever supplier did that. Well, more and more suppliers are seeing the need of a channel um, and and evolving into that. So some of that evolution will just happen because, mm-hmm. um, for example, AI. Everybody loves yep. to talk about ChatGPT <laughs> and what AI is doing and all of those sorts of things. The reality is, is my suppliers, like a Vonage, a Zoom, um, a Nice, are all embedding AI into what they offer. But we're also signing AI-only companies as new suppliers for ours. So that when my, the reality is, they, they may remain a fraction of our revenue for, for now, but they open doors. Yeah. And so if, if, if my partners know, you know, they've got a couple of AI suppliers that they can go talk to a customer, that gets them the appointment. Yeah. And then the, the real meat of it might actually end up being, hey, let me sell your, your internet service and your, mm-hmm. your, your, your Zoom licenses, all of those. But that will pull us into the evolution. Um, I think that will continue in, you know, in areas that we can anticipate and then a whole bunch that we can't. Mm-hmm. Because who would have predicted AI would be yeah. as hot as it is, as fast as it is, and, and we've just had to react and be ready. Thankfully, yeah. we already had some providers in our portfolio that did it. Um, you know, a, a, a lesser-known supplier is like a dial pad. I don't know if you guys have even ever heard of them, but they they, they sponsor the Sacramento Kings, right? They're on the court. They're, oh, really? Their logo's on the court. Yeah. They have AI embedded into what they do so that if you have a, a, a call, a, a, a conference like this, it transcribes the entire call for you. And then delivers wow. that, and we'll even do summaries of it. And so the other suppliers are reacting to that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, hmm. it, it evolves every day. And I'm selling technologies and learning stuff yeah. that I never, never would have been, you know, anticipated. My, kind of my joke is I get dumber every day. <laughs> um, because I used to be able to do quotes. I used to be able to log into a system and, and get a, a quote from Century. Like, I don't know how to do that anymore. We have people that know how to do that, right? But there's just too much to know. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, so, in my little brain that I'm picturing this is like I, when I watch Jeff Bezos' like story on how like he would sell something and then like, well, what else would you want to buy from this? What else would you want to buy? And they kept like, oh, well, I need an. It's like, oh, you want a lamp? Okay, well, do you need an extension cord? Do you need a plug? You know, and so then that's how he acquired like all this. And then like other people like, oh, well, Amazon, I want to sell my stuff on there. So I kind of see that similar where. It's kind of you're like the hub of technology services for big B2B and you have many partners that you can work with to make sure they get exactly what they need. That, that's it's, a great parallel. Okay. All right. I, I think <laughs> I, I think the one difference is is you, is I think about how how you frame that is Amazon did it in a way that they almost want to push people out and and take it from them. Oh, right? okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. Whereas ours is I only want to enable. Yeah. Gotcha. I, I, I want to I want to remain somewhat in the background. I mean, there's the reality of, of the, the scale that we do now, and that wasn't the case 20 years ago, but the, you know, we've managed for almost 20 years the largest, the network for the largest contact center in North America. But nobody would have ever have heard of us yeah. because we're so far behind the scenes. As we get bigger and we're more and more into Fortune 100 customers, um, our partners are now saying, 
you know, they're willing to talk about us and talk about, hey, you know, with Tolaris, I get all these resources. I, I, I get these relationships. If something goes bad, you know, they, they re, they're AT&T's largest partner, so they can pick up the phone and have a different conversation. Mm-hmm. So we're starting to get talked about more, but we're not forcing ourselves in front of it. I don't want to cut. Mm-hmm. I, I want them to be up front. Um, and that's, I, you know, when, when we talk about what are we doing that's different, mm-hmm. we don't have... Our, our logo will never be on the Utah Jazz Corp, as much as yeah. I'd love it. We're <laughs> yeah. a behind-the-scenes enablement company. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. Um, yeah, now now that I understand it, like, now I want to kind of, like, change gears and go, like, what does Tolaris mean? Like, how'd you come up with that? And, you know, like... Um, I can take zero credit for it because okay. my, my partners, when I merged in six years ago, they, they started 20 years ago as well, and so we were kind of running different paths. Um and it's really not that sexy of a story. They, uh, they, you know, tell, tell, so telecom was kind of the, the root of it. They did all kinds of word searches and domain searches and want, were insistent on having a .com and Tolaris.com was available. And, <laughs> and, 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 and it, you know, it has more ethos to it. They grew up in California. They started the, the, the company in California and they, you know, in early days like this, they they'd work for a few hours and then go surf and and so. Nice. I love that vibe. We, yeah. We, yeah so some of the story is is that they 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 found that that name out in the waves. Oh yeah. That's all hogwash. The reality. <laughs> the reality is they were searching for a URL. It is a big deal to find a URL that is simple and it could be a .com like with Varden as we were building that and. For us to be able to acquire Varden.com, a very short name that is our brand exactly, and it's the brand we wanted. We didn't find it and then build a story around it, but I don't know. It felt like a lot of things lined up to be able to have yeah. that happen because it's, it's a big deal. I've had lots of businesses, and it's always like you have to add something to the end of it or change something yeah. or have it be some interesting dot biz, dot dot biz yeah. or something. Yeah. So. Vardenclothing.com. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. No, and it is unique as Tolaris is when we launched in Australia, um, there, there's a registered entity in named Australia Tolaris. named Tolaris. Hmm. And uh, they've since been acquired. But w- to do business there, we had to create a new brand. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, actually, so you are, are you getting it out globally now too? Or, or Yeah, we launched in Australia about four years ago, Canada um, two years ago, UK three years ago. Just planting seeds, right? Yeah. The reality is, is that the, the way that we go to market is is still just so unique, mm-hmm. especially in those um, environments. We're we're literally dusting off marketing material that's eighteen years old, oh. freshing it and and dropping it in Australia because just educating people on this this mode of doing business um, is, it, you know, at the Australia launch we had somebody ask us, is this legal? Hmm. because essentially they're worried that, hey, you're selling something. I'm not paying you for your services. You're not, you know, when we don't charge a customer, that makes them uncomfortable. Right. But we're going to get a commission from the supplier on, on the other side of it. And so many don't believe that the prices, you know, well, they must be jacking up the price. Well, no, the price is the same. In some cases, it might be better because I can negotiate with supplier X against Y and make sure you're getting the best the best deal. The reality is they consider us another sales arm. They're not having to pay us salary. They don't do our health insurance, yep. any of those things. They just pay us a commission. 
a residual commission, right. which is the beauty of the model. Yes. Yeah. That's cool. And I, like, cause like I, when we grow this, I want this to go, you know, globally too. Like I want, I want Barden to be plastered everywhere. Right. But it's just like the processes of doing that, you know, of getting there is quite the leap, <laughs> you know, quite the, so anyway. Well, just, and there's going to be disappointments. There's going to be, Hey, I don't like how we executed on this. There's, Hey, these pictures that we did of, of whatever product, those didn't turn out well. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, the, you just roll with the punches and you can't get too hard on yourself on the day to day. And, and it, what, what's always hard to do is to give yourself credit for where you've come. And that's deep. I like that. Cause like, I feel like sometimes like we'll beat our heads against the phones of just trying to like work. And then it's like, Oh wait, let's take a step back and look, look what we, yeah. Look, look what we can appreciate. So. Well, it is interesting too. I don't know if you found this, but it, there's, there's something when you have momentum, other things happen to fall into place when you're working really hard in one direction. If you're working hard, then the other things start to come. Once you stop working, those other things don't come. But what the big deals and the big things that happen almost feel like luck. It's, and I kind of, I kind of studied a little bit into it. I'm like, I think it's provoked luck. We give ourselves many opportunities to be lucky, and a couple of those hit, and it's still luck. But you're still proactively trying to make those things happen. I don't yeah, know if you've yeah, seen that. Yes, it wouldn't that have same come thing. if you weren't driving, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I'll use the boating analogy. Um, moving forward creates its own wake. And, and that, that momentum created by the wake allows you to surf in the wake. Yeah. And, and, but if you're not moving, none of that is possible. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Hmm. So, well, cool. Well, um, let's, can we switch, switch gears and like, I want to just know like about like, did you grow up here in Utah and family life, you know, kids like it, changing gears here and just yeah. get to know you personally, you know? Yeah. I, I grew up in Murray, Utah. Um, I think I mentioned at the outset, Mary, my high school sweetheart, yeah. sweetheart. I took one other girl to a to a high school dance, and then uh, met her, it met my wife, in kind of the build up to that, and it's been her and I ever since. So uh, we were 15 years old, and I turned 47 next month. So it's been she's stuck with me for a really really long time, um, and I've got I've got four kids. Uh, cool. Two. two uh, well, one graduated college, now getting her master's, uh, moved uh, back east with her husband. And then uh, my son is uh, starting his senior year at Utah State, and then two girls at home. Um, and, you know, I, I think a big part of the, the business conversation for me has been the family conversation and the, the sacrifices that, that they've had to make as we've built this out. And, uh, you know, that, that becomes a big part of, of you know, who you are. You can't be successful without that group around you. And, and, you know, certainly my wife and her belief when I'm hard on myself and, and just, you know, make sure you've got those people that believe in you. They're okay when you're, you're trying to juggle the different things. And, you know, I've learned a ton of lessons on how to do that better, how to communicate that better. But yeah, that's a, that, that's my personal, I think, the other part of it, especially as it comes to, to the conversation you had in this brand, is I'm a huge boater. I, I, the happiest times of my life. <laughs> That's what we like to hear. I'm, yes, we're going we're gonna to continue this conversation. Go ahead. <laughs> the happiest times of my childhood are memories of boating with my family. And when I was 15, 
my, you know, my dad was kind of my age and decided, hey, I, you know, he grew up on a farm and all these things. Um, we sold the boat, moved to Harriman, which back then was the absolute sticks. Yeah. And like cows ro roaming through our yard kind of sticks. Yeah. Um, and I ended up commuting every day for two years back to Murray High School. So I, I wasn't going to leave my girlfriend. I had just won junior class president, so I drove 45 minutes to school every day. Wow. It's a huge aspect of who I am because at that point, I either was like getting home at 1230 every night because I was in student government and sports and all of these things and then was still working, or I would sleep on buddy's floors. Hmm. And um, so kind of from 16 on, I kind of raised myself and, and, and was just super independent. Hmm. Um, anyway, I don't even remember what question I was answering. No, I, uh, yeah, no, I was just sorry. so. Oh, right. boating! Right. I, I gotta right. keep. I, I, gotta, I gotta keep there. Hold on. Let yeah, me. let's let's get back to That's boating. Important. So, I, I gotta let you know, I, the boat show is a holiday for me. Okay. I go. I go all four days, <laughs> and ever since I was a kid, I would go and I would sit in every single boat in every single seat. And as like a young kid, I'd go up and like, "Who's your sales rep?" And I said, "Tell me about this boat." And they're like. Just like, tell me about the boat. And I'm like, well, you're not very good. I'm going to go to the next one. It's tell me about this boat. And then the people that actually took me under their wing, they're still at the boat show. And every year when they see me, they, we, we high five. And so like, so I would go and learn about pontoons. Uh, you know, back when they had the fishing tank, we'd go fish. And then they had the houseboats and everything. And I can kind of tell you um, that the boat show has changed quite a bit. So, but it's funny as though, as I go and I still, to this day, I go sit in every boat. I go to a lot of the sales a lot of people there know me, and so like every year when I go in, I'll see like the new dealers or the new marinas. I'm like, oh hey, welcome to the boat show. Welcome to Utah. It's your first year here, huh? And they're like, uh, yeah. How'd you know? I was like, I'm Jordan Wim. You'll get to know me real quick. And so <laughs> anyway, but I get I get to the point where people miss the boat show, and then they'll call me and say, hey, what was good at the boat show? What was new and stuff? Or people will come, and I'll give them a tour and talk to all the booths, uh, everyone there, you know. And so this year I'm getting older. Um, I took a walker. So old. <laughs> yeah. I took a walker. My aunt, my aunt had passed and no one wanted her walker. I was like, can I have her walker? And like, what do you want it for? I was like, for the boat show. And I'm like, what? And then so I would walk. So then I turned around and sit. And I was like, all right, here we go. Let's talk about boats. And so I had a moving chair. Yeah, I still you know? can't get behind the walker. It's awesome. And so like, as a sale, like they can't leave. Like, I'm here. You better sell me or I'm not going to leave, you know? <laughs> There's one year um, I went to the boat show and... Um, I said, I said, okay, I'm going to buy something from the booth section because I can't buy, the, I can't afford the boats there, you know, yeah. But I was like, I'm going to buy something if they can sell me because I was just getting into sales and I was learning sales. And so I was like, you know what? I want to act like, I want to, I want to see how they sales pitch me. So I walk up to their booth and I say, hey, I will purchase something for you if you can sell me. And then I would like give them hot buttons. Like if it was like the Cutco knife people, I'd be like, you know what? I don't have a kitchen set of knife. Why should I buy your knives? You know, and then I would give them you know, reasons the to problem. sell. Yeah. Right. Right. And so, and I remember at the end of that boat show, I bought a newspaper subscription because this sales dude just sold me like, and it wasn't like, I told him, I was like, I don't, I, I was like, why can't, why should I buy a newspaper when I can get everything online? And then like, he just went through his pitch and told me, and I was like, dude, take my credit card. Like, so anyway, that's a little background of sales. So getting back to boats is I love the boats. And so, and when I'm out boating, I can point in a boat and I can tell you the year, make, and model within five years. So that's like my brain yeah, when it comes to boats. I'm like hyper-focused on boats. So anyway, 
So I just want to know what kind of boat you have. That, that was my <laughs> point of detail. Sorry, I have multiple I answers. Okay. First of all, I want to touch on what you're doing when you're going over booth to booth because it's actually fundamental to how I've grown the business. Oh, and let me Chris. tie that in. Okay. I, I, had not, I had not thought about this for a really long time. Um, but there's a, a speaker named Harvey McKay. And most people have never heard of him. His, I think the, the book that I have was, is never buy from a man without a shirt or something like that. But he was on the same stage as Tony Ro Robbins. Everybody's heard of Tony Robbins, yeah. right? So if that, yeah. one of the stories I, I will always remember him telling, and this is back in the day before cell phones, but he, he talked about some of his best hires in his entire career were just seeing something in somebody. And this exact thing that you're doing, and you bought a newspaper subscription. I've and so he would see something in somebody. He would write his personal number on the back of a business card, hand it to a hotel clerk or a waitress or something, and say, "If you're ever looking for a job, call me." Mm -hmm. And he said, "Some of the best hires I've ever made are people that that just had something. They didn't have the degree. They didn't have the the pedigree, mm -hmm. but they had it." And that's what you found in that newspaper guy. And so when I look at some of the best hires I've ever made, um, I put, uh, our, he's our SVP of engineering, Josh Lepresto, at the top of that. He was a grease monkey. Like, he grew up in the shadows of Notre Dame. He, he moved to Utah to, to party and to drive cars. And he was working on cars. One day woke up and decided, no, I want to do more than that. So he, he went to uh, ITT Tech. He was actually a commercial for ITT, <laughs> he and his wife. Um, but when I met Josh, he had something. And so when I came to, to know I was about to buy Carrier Sales, I called him. He had worked at a sister company and left. And I said, I want you to come back and help me build this thing. And so he just, he had it. Mm -hmm. And now our, our engineering department, his team that he runs is, is huge and it's a big component of the company. Um, but he didn't have any of that in his background. And we've just kind of, I've given him little assignments. Hey, you know, we're going to buy this little tuck-in company. You go run that division. And so he's learned stuff along the way. But he's a voracious learner, and he just continues to push on. He's got more Cisco certifications, Amazon certifications, <laughs> all of these things. But, it, but the only thing I did in that is just see something in somebody, like you did in, in that yeah. newspaper salesman. Yeah. Um, back to the boat part. Yes. Um, my wife and I, uh, w when when we got married, it was always kind of the first thing we're going to do is buy a boat. And as soon as we can afford it, we're going to buy a boat. Keep in mind, we were 20. She was still yeah. 19 when we got married. We couldn't afford anything. Yeah. But early on, like, it, I think we were 24, 25, we bought a uh, 19, oh, was that 84 Birchcraft. Sweet. So this ugly pea green, yes. made in Utah. Try hole. I, I, I was having to bondo that thing three times a, a, a season. There were soft spots in the in the wood floor, like continually fixing that. Um, but I bought it for like a thousand bucks. Put a you know, couple thousand into it over the years to fix things. Um, I was up at Rockport. Uh, and even though it was a, just a horrible, old, ugly green thing, I'd yeah. still wipe it down because that's just how I was yeah. raised. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you take care of your stuff, right? Yeah. So we're down wiping down this. I mean, the paint was so faded at that point. I'm spray painting the Bondo and everything. Anyway, this, this truck pulls by with this beautiful boat. I want to say it was a Mastercraft. And they're like, oh, we love your boat. And my response was just immediately, well, do you want it? 
because at that point I was really getting frustrated with how many things I was having to fix. <laughs> well, they came walking back. Their dad had built that boat. Oh, he see, he was whoa. Birch. Wow. wow. And so it was just this really cool conversation around like what what the boating industry was like in the '80s, why they went out of business, what changed in the tax uh-huh. and regulatory that kind of helped put anyway. Um, so mm-hmm. we, we graduated from that to a, a, a Malibu ride. Okay. So it was 2012, so right before wake gates yep. had, yep. had became a thing. But we were able to wakeboard and do those fun things as my kids were growing up. Um, and then what? Uh, right before COVID, I ordered a, a G23. And, and and the the genesis of that is my partner Patrick had realized, hey, my kids are all growing up. I'm younger than them, my my two partners, but their kids are younger. And he's like, I'm I'm my kids are gonna be gone in a few years. I need boat time. Hmm. And so they came to me, and they and I was still in the ride. And they're like, hey, we want a boat. And I'm like, all right, I've been looking at this one. You guys want to do this? And I just said. I feel bad because I'm putting you into the Cadillac, right? We're skipping a whole bunch of steps. Right. Right. And I'm not going to let you drive this boat until you can prove to me that you know what you're doing. So we're two years into this boat. My partner, Patrick, has driven it like twice with us with him. He's not towed it yet. (laughs) That's awesome. Because we haven't graduated that step. That's our goal this year. Okay. Well, I I have a sigh of relief because if you were going to say another manufacturer, I was going to have to fake that. I was like, oh, you like the boat? So (laughs) we can spend days on why Nautiques are the best boat. Like I, 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 I can... There's a multiple things. And I just I went to the boat show with him, and he was like, this is the best boat. So yeah. he's Nautique. not just feeding you a line. Uh, and let me just say this. I'll say my two cents about Nautique. Nautique, you can pay me later or whatever. Um, <laughs> but I don't get paid by them, but just so you know. I, I, <laughs> Nautique doesn't sponsor me. I'm not good enough. But anyway, the, thing, the, thing, the, the one thing that separates Nautique from any other manufacturer is they are still singly family-owned. So they don't have shareholders, and so they really don't have to cut corners. Um, just like classic, two couple of classic examples is like, you know, most motors have four engine mounts, and but to reduce on noise and vibration, Nautique adds two more motor mounts just to reduce the sound and vibration. You know, that's thinking forward. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like um, they don't, and and so they 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 really engineer the boat for being in the boat all day and making it comfortable for everyone and creating a good experience. And then we can get in all the nitty gritty details, but that's my one of the best things I love about Nautique. So thanks for buying a Nautique that I don't have to make that. It's like it's a good boat. <laughs> well, and there's, look, there's just, for any parent that ever listens to this, there's just a reality that now that my kids are getting older, they will come home if we're going to Lake Powell. Or they're co- they will come home. My son will drive the two hours from Logan just to come get up on the lake. On yeah. a Saturday morning, right? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kid time on the boat is a unique, unique element. Yeah, and I'm just like you, man. I, like I grew up on the boat. My dad, like he, like when I was a kid, I was always like, Dad, I want to go boating. Dad, I want to go boating. And we had a 1989 Bayliner at the time. And my dad and I'm, I'm just like, I just want to be on the boat and tuski. I don't care. I just want to go. And I loved it so much. I just loved the sounds. I loved being out on the water and the fresh air. So anyway, I bugged my dad so much when I was a kid. He says we can't go until all the snow's off the mountain. It's a rule. And so I'd still bug him, still bug him. But anyway, when I when I was 14, my dad made me take the boater safety class, and I took the boater safety class. So then he, he got to the point where I would call my friends. I had I'd have a group of friends that we'd go all the time, and he would 
as a 14 year old, he would drive the truck and trailer, the boat, to the marina, launch us, and I would go boat with my friends. And then I, when we're done, I'd call him, Dad, we're done. He'd drive the truck down and I'd go load it up and go. With that being said, I got lots of tickets, lots of boating tickets all growing up. Uh, even when I was 16, um, uh, when I was 16, my dad's like, okay, now you can drive, you take the boat, you know, but he's a, you clean it, you do all that. And we have a guy here that, uh, uh, Ryan Shima Bukuro, who is like, he's like the, he's like the staple of keeping wakeboarding alive um, for, like, because a lot of people are going to surfing and stuff and like all the other stuff is starting to fall away, but he's keeping wakeboarding alive. And, one thing you'll learn about him is he knows how to meticulously maintain his boat, like as far as interior and stuff. And so I learned a lot of that from him. And the reason why I say that is because now, like, because I have a 2001 Rhinel 200C Cuddy Cabin, and it looks showroom conditioned because of the things that I learned from him. You know, like wiping it down, even yeah. though you think, you know what I mean? Uh, which is cool. But, but going back to the law part about it was um, that I, I have a story I want to share. <laughs> I, I know the rules really well because I've been pulled over. I mean, you know, I granted for good reasons, right? So, but there's this one time where my boat's 20 feet long and I had twins at the time and I was married with my ex-wife and and uh, I was like, hey, she's like, I don't want to go boating because the life jackets bug them or whatever. And I was like, well, listen, our boat's over 20 feet long, so if we put our kids in the enclosure, they don't have to wear their life jackets. She's like, well, show me. And I showed her the law. And she's like, okay, we'll go boating. So we go boating, we have a good time, we're just out there on the lake, and then my twins are just in their cuddy cabin, and they, you know, there's windows, and they're you know poking out, and then this new ranger, the new ranger pulled me over and says, hey, those kids are under 12, why don't they have life jackets? I says, because my boat's over 20 feet long, and they're in the enclosure. And he, and he just says, well, that's not a rule here, that doesn't apply if they're 12 and under. I was like, no, it, it, it's a rule, bud, like, trust me. And he got mad at me and says, are you going to tell me how to do my job? And I was like, I'll tell you how to do your job if you're doing it wrong. <laughs> and, uh, um, and he writes me the ticket and um, I was like, and I just told him like, dude, this is going to be the easiest fight in court and sure, write me this ticket. I am glad to take this ticket. Five minutes later, he uh, calls me and says, hey, you can go ahead and tear up that ticket, you know? And I was like, look, dude, I'm not trying to be, a, I'm not trying to be rude here. I'm just saying like, I know the rules. Like, I'm not trying to be like, yeah. you know? So the funny thing, the reason why I'm telling you all this is we ran into him down at, when we did our, our at the, or we, when we went down just to, barely this week. barely this week. He goes, hey, I'm Chase. And I was like, I was like, is that the dude? So I asked the guy that put it together. I says, Ty, is that Chase? And I can't remember his name, but I'll just call him Felipe. I was like, is that Chase Felipe? He's like, yeah, that is. And I'm like, I want to go tell him, like, hey, you remember me? <laughs> Did you do that? No, I was Sorry. going to. I wanted to do with these guys, but I was like, just let my ego down. Just relax. Do business. But anyway. Anyway, there's tons of boating stories. Like, I, I have boating stories about my senior mission, how I hitchhiked to Lake Powell because all my friends bailed. And so I hitchhiked to Lake Powell, and then I slept on vacant houseboats, uh, just the rooftops, and then wow. I'd stand on the dock. That's commitment. I stood on the dock, says, I'm a nice kid. Can I, can I ride with you? And I pinned a $10 bill at the end of it. <laughs> I got picked up every day, and then, you know, and I got pretty good. I was a competitive wakeboarder, so once you throw a back, you're like, oh, sweet, yeah, we'll you go. Come anytime. Yeah, yeah, come anytime. <laughs> Show me. So I got, you know, so... Right now I'm getting old, so I'm just... So switching. now you're not going and... I'm not hitting... I don't, yeah, on I don't need a hitch. I'll, just, I'll stick to the lakes around here. And have fun. But anyway, I, I'm sure you have plenty of boating stories, too. But, like, there's just something about boating is just, like, your kids can't go away from you. You can just bond, chill out, listen to music, and, you know, oh, yeah. just boating is... I'm glad, you know. I, I have great boating stories. I have... Horrible boating <laughs> stories, right? If you yes. don't have those, you're probably not doing it. Right. right. That's yeah. right. Right. Uh, but yeah, look, it's so core to who I was as a 14-year-old. I went to Lake Powell with, um, I would, like you, 
begged my way onto people's trips that they were going. I went uh, for a total of six weeks on wow. like, on like wow. four or five different trips, right? It <laughs> yes. was just like, I'm, I'm, you trip, going with this neighbor, going with this neighbor, my family would go, at, to the point that the docs would hire you when you were 15. Mm-hmm. And so I had, when I was 14, I had said, I'm going to come work here next summer as a 15-year-old. And then I met my wife, and I decided not to, that I, gotcha. I didn't want to be gone all summer. Well, I'm glad your wife, was a good did, did your wife grow up boating too then? Too? No, not, oh, not at all. all right. um, but, right. but she um, has, has loved it. For her, it's not what she's doing on it, right? She, she will wakeboard, but doesn't do much. Mm-hmm. Um, she loves to surf. Um, but it's just the time, it's the air, it's all of those oh, yeah. other things that, yeah. that have always been compelling for her. Mm-hmm. Um, she she would go with friends, with neighbors, yeah, and liked knew knew enough about it that we both knew that was something that we liked. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, yeah that's <clears throat> that's awesome. I mean, we can talk boating all all day. So I mean, I'll I'll let you change the gears. <laughs> you guys, I love boating. So, well, I got a question for you. Your high school sweetheart, I have a high school sweetheart, I'm looking to get married or, and all that jazz, whatever. Yeah. Any advice? Oh. Um, <laughs> That's I just want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> as, as somebody that has officiated, uh, I, I'm going to, I do two weddings next week, and I've done several. I, I probably have more advice there than you'd ever care to <laughs> um, So let's see. Let me boil it down to a couple of things. Um it, it's super trite, but I think the lesson, and let me tie it into the kind of the whole conversation I think we've had. One, one of the things that I probably took too long to learn in my marriage and work life was to communicate clearly about what stage I was in in the business. Um, I would never be where I'm at or have the size of the company, obviously, if I didn't have a patient spouse. And in the early years, I was working 80, 90 hours just to try to keep this, get this thing going. And, you know, she'd, she'd call me at four or five o'clock and say, Hey, you know, what are, what are your plans? I'm like, I'm, I'm working on this. Let me finish it up and I'll be home for dinner. And honestly, she got to a point where she could tell by the tone of my voice, if that meant I was actually going to be home for dinner. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. And then she'd call at eight. Hey, how, you know, how's it coming? Are you, you know, yeah, a couple of things. I'll, I'll be home to say goodnight to the kids, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And she could tell by the tone of my voice if that meant really eight thirty or one. Gotcha. And That's kind of what's happening right now with me. Yeah. As and you're saying, I'm like, yep, feeling that. <laughs> yeah. And the reality <laughs> is, I think life is is uh, a little bit. I, I use the the analogy of spinning plates, right? If you ever seen the people that go to jazz mm-hmm. shows and they spin plates. You can't spin all of them the same speed all of the time. And you can spin a couple and then walk away from them for a little while and they're gonna start to slow and wobble a little bit and then you gotta go back and spin it. But if you're doing tricks with any of those, they've gotta be going quick if you're gonna throw them up in the air and catch them and all of those things. And I I think life is a little bit of when you're building a business, all of these other things still matter, yourself, your workouts, your family, uh, your spiritual nature, all of those things matter, but you can only focus on spinning them hard and fast so much. And so the best thing I did in my marriage is finally learn the lesson through her patience of communicating clearly, hey, 
this is the stage we're in. I'm about to go buy this company and I'm going to be a bad husband for two months. And setting that expectation and having her know, you know, we assign some timeline, it'll, it opened a door of communication that frankly just changed who we were and how, how I was able to then commit myself to the business in stages of where we were at and then be purposeful about, oh, the stage is over. I'm checking back in and I'm, I'm focusing on spinning my family plate now. Mm-hmm. Um, not always easy, but I think the more purposeful we are in those moments, the, the better off we are and the, the happier we are because we don't feel like we're failing. Because hmm. when you're super competitive, you're building stuff. Mm-hmm. Being an entrepreneur is not easy. You're disappointing people every day. I, you can't go to this family party. You're late to whatever. You're working more than you want to. Um, I think I've been a good dad overall, but there's a reality that when my son, I mean, one of the most heartbreaking stories for me and kind of my entrepreneur story is I was feeding my third child. She's now 17. I was feeding her baby food. And my, my 21 year old son, he's six, five, 200. He's a big kid. Right. Mm -hmm. And he was always a big kid. And I'm feeding my daughter. And I, I mentioned to my wife, Hey, I feel like Sam just skipped the baby food stage. Like he went straight from nursing and rice cereal to whole foods. And you'd almost have to know my wife to know like with how much love she delivered this, this statement. She's like, no, he was there. You just weren't here. And I mean, oh, it's kind of like, oh. Yeah. 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 But I never missed a soccer game for that kid, right? So stages of life, I, I've, when it was important, I mean, look, it, every stage is important. Yeah. And I do I have some regret for that stage? Yes. I think I've made up for it, right? Um, but without that sacrifice, patience of, of those others, um, we wouldn't be where we are now, right? We, the, the opportunity mm-hmm. that is in my life and their life because of that. Um, anyway, that's a really long answer to a a, a, a marriage question oh that's awesome I i'm like spiritually uplifted and, you know like i'm like ready like shoot i need to get myself a check now you know like that's, yeah. that was really cool like that's like that's deep like because i mean that's gonna go a long way but like yeah for sure for like the stage that you're in and like now it's like well yeah especially as business mindset as we're growing this and building this like because we we're yeah. all going to be hustling well and, Some, and, and like those sacrifices that you made it it sets you up to be in a place financially probably where you could enjoy time with family or you could afford that boat and and then eventually yeah eventually <laughs> yeah there were a lot of yeah. years where i would tell my wife hey i promise next year we're actually going to bring home a livable wage yeah. um and then there'd be a company to buy or there would be an employee that was you know somebody talented that i'd bring in and so for years, I mean, yes, it, it went up w- to where we were living, but I had many years I was paying people way more than I was taking home because I believed in what we were building. But eventually, yes, I, I, I will have no complaints for, <laughs> for where we are now. Yeah. yeah. But it took a while. Yeah. yeah. Even just setting expectations for yourself that, hey, here's a time frame that as you talk about setting goals and doing those types of things, but it's important to be like, I'm going to grind hard because we can't sprint a whole marathon. You know what I mean? It's like, we're going to sprint and then we're going to be able to kind of regroup and be like, all right, we're going to hit hard again and, and keep going. Um, 
my wife right now is studying for a, a huge test, the PE, the professional engineer's exam. And so that's like eight hours a day, every Saturday and Sunday and every night until next month, the end of next month. So I still have another month, but it was like, we had a conversation a month and a half, two months ago where she's like, I'm going to be doing this. And I'm like, cool. I've got everything else as we're doing all this with Varden and everything else. It's like, cool. I've got you. I'll do dinners. I'll make sure kids are at school. Like she's still helping out with that, but I'm doing a lot more what she would normally be doing. But if I didn't know where the end was, it might be too much. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. You, you might get snippy. You might yeah. begrudge more than, yeah. Yeah. But knowing that, so anyways, I need to take some of that. But just as you're saying that, I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm living that in two different worlds. And being purposeful about it and yeah. taking, creating space to acknowledge this is where we are and this is why we're doing it is, is I think really, really important. Yeah. Um, but the beauty of those moments is how much you grow. Yeah. And you realize, oh, hey, we are capable of so much more yeah. th than we think we are. I mean, I, I think everybody feels like, hey, we need downtime. I need, I need my Twitter time, my Instagram time or whatever. The reality is when, when you have to, mm -hmm. we're so much more capable than we give ourselves credit yeah. for. And it's good for the kids too. Like my wife wasn't able to go to their dance competition last week. And they were having a hard time, like, how are you not going to be there? But had my sister-in-law there helping and that kind of stuff. And things, I don't know, I feel like there's so much in this world that's trying to, like, make it too easy for kids. It's like it's good for them to go through hard things, especially things that aren't going to be detrimental to them. Like, going through that, she actually was able to get there for a couple of the last performances. And But the girls, as I was leading up to it, there was a stage where they were kind of freaking out and, being really immature about it and we were just patiently work through it and they on their own were like okay I'm okay with mom not being there and that's important for them to be like it's not the end of the world and then she actually ended up being there and it was kind of a they were way excited that she was there instead of kind of taking it for granted I think so. the hard things is not just important it's critical I, I've I've grown up with a fear well as a parent I've, I've had a fear of because my kids have grown up in relative comfort or whatever, are they going to be as hungry as I was? Are they right. going to be as resilient as mm -hmm. I am? Um, and because those hard times are what refine that, right? I mean, totally. we'd, we'd need a whole, totally different podcast to go through <laughs> yeah. why, why I'm hardened and, and, and some of the horrible experiences I had as a kid that, that toughened me up. Um, but when I look back on those moments, and some of this is, is painfully earned reflection, I would not be who I am without some of those horrible experiences that I wouldn't wish on. Yeah. In, like I've lived my life to protect my kids from those experiences. Yeah. But there's the reality that without them, I, I quite literally would not yeah. be who I am. That's very Well, and it's cool, like, because like, like as we're like talking about all of our like personal things and personal thing, like it's similar to like, cause we're talking about like relationships with our wife, relationships with our kids. It's not much different in business, right? Like creating a partnership with someone, you know? It's not like we're going to go, you know what I mean? It's like you still have to have those communication skills that we're talking about to build those partnerships to, because like the way I see it is the more partnerships you grow, your company grows, and we use that same life, personal things into business, and we use different language, like professional language and things of that nature, but yeah. it's, it's all, it all just ties back together of like, 
networking and communication. And so. Well, and you, and you remind me of what is one of my, my core principle books. There's, there's a book called Love is the Killer App. And really the core, I mean, there's a lot of lessons in that, a lot of great suggestions for other business books, for, for ways to learn. Um, but the core principle that I've tried to hold on to in, in the vein of you've talked about is if, if you're more focused on the success of others than you are on yourself and you're willing to make connections for people that you may not benefit from, the universe has a way of taking care of you, right? Not <laughs> yeah, to get too yeah. esoteric. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not like a full proponent of, of attraction theory, but I've, I've seen it happen yeah. mm-hmm. to where if you care about others and, and their success, it, I'll, I'll bring it all the way back to our first conversation. Good things happen in the wake of goodness. Yeah. So true. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. As we're talking about that, what are things that you're working on? I mean, the size of the business that you're at is like, yeah, it's you have interesting. Done... We aspire to certain things, and it's funny when you get to a certain level, it's like, then you're looking at the next hill, right? What is that next hill that you're looking at? Yeah, I mean, when, when we merged companies five and a half years ago, we were 115 employees. Um, we were number two, three in the space. Now we're number one with 400 employees. Uh, brought on a capital partner, done some acquisitions. Um, the, the next hurdle for us is, um, I mean, we're, we're so ridiculously competitive that it, like, it's uh, how do we just keep driving and how do we, how do we put the others in our, in our wake? Um, the, the next hurdle is there are large, large companies that will enter our industry soon. They're, they're looking at it. They're yeah. dabbling in different mm-hmm. areas. And we're talking publicly traded companies. Like what, one publicly traded company purchased the former number one. Hmm. Now, they kind of, that, that took some of their momentum away for a while because, you know, they're, they're a multi-billion dollar company and this was a little bit smaller. Now, this smaller part is the, the driving force for the, so that will bring other competitors. Hmm. What we have to do, our goal is to be big enough to, to, to not be eaten up by these big conglomerates. Yeah. I'd rather buy them or, right. or just be strong enough to stand on my own mm-hmm. and not need them um, and not have to deal with their, you know, multinational layers and all that crap. I, right. It's, it's a whole lot funner to just be able to drive your own thing. For sure. And as you're doing that, do you see yourself like like... As you're doing that, like, do you see yourself like, hey, I'm going to keep growing and growing and growing? Do you see, like, like, do you think that you will, like, eventually retire? Do you think you got that in you to just keep going until you, you physically, like, you physically and mentally can't, you know? Yeah, I, as an entrepreneur, it's, I think our story as an entrepreneur based company is a little bit unique in that, you know, we've both, we've all had multiple times to, to check out, to, to pull out of what we're doing. You know, when you bring in a capital partner, you, we could have left. Mm-hmm. We we brought in one that would come in as a minority, so that we could continue to drive the space because we still have that that passion that drive. we we don't want 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 to give up those keys. Um, there is a reality though that that I've had to embrace and candidly, almost painfully so that I can't be the one doing stuff mm-hmm. anymore. I've I've had to kind of slowly. Just let people do that. My number one job anymore is relationships and recruiting. 
relationships with suppliers, right? And it's mm -hmm. not, it can't be just relationship with my, my peer that's running the channel. It's got to be with their boss or their boss's boss so mm -hmm. that they understand who we are so that when they restructure or they go through bankruptcy, we're protected because mm -hmm. they know who we are. And, yeah. and uh, so the evolution for me will be, yeah, I, 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 I want to do this for as long as, as we can uh, because it's relationship driven and it can, it's just fun. Um, but that involvement will change, right? It, it's, yeah. it's changed this year and will be different next year on, on what I'm doing. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. Speaking of relationships and things you're doing, something recently you did, well, fairly recently was Kilimanjaro. Fairly recently, right oh. before COVID. Yeah. Talk, tell us through yeah, that, that process, cool. like yeah. how that came about and like, Prepping for it. And yeah, it was, uh, you know, somebody that I met at the same time you and I met that mm -hmm. reached out to me. He had he had sold his company or portion of his company is now mentoring somebody that had started this tour group and was, was doing something uh, to climb Kilimanjaro. And he called and asked, and I said, no, I didn't even think about it. I was like, nope, no, n not interested. <laughs> um, I had had, hip, I had torn my labrum. I used to run a lot. I had torn my, my hip labrum and had hip surgery. They had to like reconstruct my femur and clip part of my hip oh, off and oh, still man. all my hip, right? But it fully reconstructed. Hmm. And I'm like, I've, no, I just, I can't, I didn't think I could physically do it. And it was in three months. And I mentioned it to um, my marketing team and said, hey, maybe we should have my partner Patrick do it. He does 100 mile races. He just turned 50 and got seventh in wow. this 100 mile race. Like he's, he's wow. elite, right? Yeah. And, and they were like, well, yeah, he could do it, but that's not a great story. If he does it, you need to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I just committed to training and every, like every morning it was treadmill time and stair stepper time. I carved out four hours every Thursday and would go hit the mountains. It was winter time. So it's like snowshoeing and, and all kinds of things to try to get ready and yeah. then go and climb Kilimanjaro and have just, you know, kind of a, an incredible experience to be able to reflect i mean there, there's a reality that any in-shape person can do kilimanjaro i don't want to make more of it than, than <laughs> what it is it's, it's not climbing everest yeah um but we did it quickly right a lot of people take seven to ten days we did it in four like it was a it was a go 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 yeah um and it wasn't easy and i got food poisoning the last day and so oh, there's all oh, kinds oh. of secondary <laughs> stories here and lessons um but yeah, just, just an incredible experience. And I, I think kind of core to why, you know, why I will want to keep doing this is there's always other experiences that we get to do. Um, the relationships that we were able to build, the, the, the companies that we, we've been able to build and enable lifestyles. I mean, many, to become an independent agent, these guys starve just like any business owner. Right, mm -hmm. and in their case, they st it's usually eighteen to eighteen months to two years, because you're you're getting paid just a little bit at a time, and it builds up over time. And if you make it, you, you're going to be in an incredible place for for you're, you'll be set for life. But so many wash out. It's just like probably any entrepreneur story. But so many partners don't make it. Mm -hmm. um, they don't have enough relationships. They couldn't close the right deals. Uh, but the companies we've made allows me to be with great people that are always trying to achieve, and then we get to go do really fun stuff with them. And so part of our industry is, hey, Formula One, a lot of golfing, 
presidents' clubs. Like all of these things have created this really incredible life of interaction where the best trips I go on are with partners who have become friends. Yeah. I don't pay for a lot of my own vacations. I go on work vacations mm-hmm. to really incredible places. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And who wouldn't want to keep doing that? Right. <laughs> right. And did your wife get to go with you on yeah. lots of those? Yeah. Cool. I mean, so we were in St. Lucia uh, just prior to spring break, and then she flew home early to uh, take our girls on an actual spring break because they oh, were yeah. upset. But yeah, we've um, we, we've been able. Your mom to go and dad to are playing again. <laughs> we want to play. Yeah. No, all kinds of great places, and, you know, and and like I say, some of it's work. You're there to it's a work vacation, but mm-hmm. you're still hosting. You're still taking care of partners, but yeah, a lot, yeah. lot of fun there. Yeah, that's awesome. Hmm. Cool. Um, I guess I just have a question about Kilimanjaro. Did that give you an itch to do more things like that, or were you like, cool, checked it off, done? Like um, some, right? Some some of it is, hey, maybe I should get back to running. Yeah, because I can do hard things. Right. Um, <clears throat> you know, I try to just stay in shape generally. I would tell you, I wanted to go back and do Kilimanjaro, but take my kids. Yeah. Um, so that that'll kind of stay as a a goal out there. I have no desire to climb Everest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, none none yeah. of those super hard ones, like yeah. some, some of the medium ones. Yeah, absolutely. I love to continue to be able to do those. Um, but uh, yeah, I. I, I think ingrained in me, even though it's, it's, it, I'm a weird dichotomy, I think, of super calm, quiet, and a, a, a semi-adrenaline junkie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love jumping off of tall things. When I, I was at Deccan Nationals in high school. I, the dumbest thing I ever did was jump out of an, uh, a, a third-story balcony into the, the river. Wow. Um, at, at Deccan Nationals. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they then went door Those to door things. to find out who had created all the ruckus. But I made 75 bucks. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> love it. Worth it. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I love running the river and just stuff like that because it creates something that is hard to get in life. Yeah. 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 Wow. I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm all about experiences. I like doing stuff like that. And so... Um, my question, I got, I, I mean, we, we can probably get things wrapping up, but like, just like you're looking back, uh, my thing is, is like, I'm always trying to learn and I'm, and I'm sure you're always still learning things as, you know, stuff comes out. But like in the stage of our company where we're at, I mean, we're, we're, we're still relatively small. If you could give us like advice on books or something that really helped you change the direction of your business of growing, what would some of the books or advice be for us as we learn and we grow this company as well? Because we, I mean, we want to be. Yeah. Great question. I, two, two answers, the books and then just the, the general advice. Um, my, my book advice is don't believe any one book. Okay. That's a great <laughs> advice. Okay. Yeah. Um, read as many as you can incorporate them into what you do, but then make it your own. So, you know, Ray Dalio principles, I love the, the element of make people earn their credibility and then the next decision is made based upon the history of the good decisions that they've made. We all make mistakes, but you build a credibility score almost like a, he talks about it as like a baseball card. What's your batting average on decisions? Hmm. And when you're all debating something, that person's weighted a little higher than that person because in this, in this subject matter, they've earned it. Uh, I already mentioned Love is the Killer app. That yeah. one's fundamental yeah. um, to me. Um, measure what matters like so much of the answer to that is what stage are you 
in, yeah. in your business. Okay, that's a good point. Because measure what matters applied to us, you know, five years ago and to now, but probably a whole lot less in the early days. I didn't have anything to measure. It was all about hustle and, and, and all of those other things. So yeah. um, that, that's one. Uh, Brene Brown has a, has a great book out, um, so some great things about being um, a, a true leader is about consistently trying to be a learner, not pretending you know everything, but yeah. being willing to, to go learn. And candidly, that's, that's a book. The, the new CEO of Lumen, um, who came from Microsoft, that's like a book that she's making all of her employees read. Oh. Um, it, and so, yeah, that, that would be one that I think is fresher on my mind. Um, look, I, I always read three books at a time. Um, I audible one, and that tends to be whatever just mind-numbing, fun thing I can read. Uh, Jack Reacher series, <laughs> Gabriel Elon, <laughs> right? Just the stuff to pass the time. And then I'm, al- I'm always in a spiritual book of some sort. And and then a business book, because depending on what your what your mood is that day, read different things. Yeah, and and embrace it. Don't force yourself through something. Is my other book advice. It's okay. Just, mm-hmm. I I ebb and flow into one, and and when I'm feeling passionate about something, I will plow through that. Um, my advice. I think the I will use my wife's wisdom because when in preparation for this, I was a little bit concerned by I don't know that I felt anything that I do is super unique right what what have I done uh, the company is unique our business model is unique but I asked my wife what do, what do you think that I could actually talk about today of any value you know yeah. any value to anybody and and she kind of laughed at me um, she's like look the number one thing I think you could and this is my advice is the way the way that you deal with with stress and with emotional situations is uh, is unique and 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 the, the the tighter the deadline the higher the emotions the um, the, the bigger the the consequences are the calmer you are the more focused and frankly the better you get mm-hmm. um, and I think that so much of that is because of what we talked about earlier, the experiences that I went through in my life and not having a, I, I had it, that's a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but going through emotionally charged things as a, as a kid allowed me, I think, a frame of mind. I don't get rough, I, don't, I just don't get, riled, I, I don't get riled up. I, it's here. I'm super emotional, but I don't let it out. Hmm. Now, yeah. people that know me at church probably think I'm an emotional wreck because you know I get up and my emotions are all out there. But I've had so many opportunities in my career to get, just get really pissed off at somebody. Somebody tried to screw me or whatever. Right? That's going to happen. You're going to have bad experiences. You're going to have a desire to want to yell at somebody and throw a tantrum. My reaction to those moments is I get cold and calculating. And I might get mad for an hour, and then I start to play chess about, okay, how can I navigate around this and beat it? And, and that lack of emotion, sometimes I'm hard to work for because people don't know where they stand. They know they screwed up. I don't yell at people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not my DNA. Um, and so I've had to learn to make sure they knew they weren't in trouble 
yeah. over time. <laughs> because sometimes people are like, oh, man, he's really mad. I didn't get yelled at. No, I'm not. I, it's not a big deal. You learned a lesson. Move on. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think it's wasted time and energy to freak out about stuff. And so I don't. That's really good. Thank you. I, that is awesome. <laughs> a lot of work on. <laughs> I, look, I, it's easier said than done. Yeah. I have a raging lunatic inside sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'll go back to a marriage. I'll tie it all back into the marriage thing. Um, I committed a long time ago never to say a mean word to my wife, right? Never say something that would be hurtful. You'd be honest, you'd be candid, but um, I will never, ever do it in anger. And I think that that applies in, for, for me in business and in marriage. And, you know, there's certain things you can't take back. Yeah. And, and so I, I will bottle it up until my logic side of myself will work through, oh, this is why they did this. This is what they were thinking. Oh, you're overreacting here. And then sometimes that takes days. And the people on the other side of that are like, man, how, how, how bad is this? Well, the reality is, is it wasn't bad at all. I was navigating my way through it. Mm-hmm. And I've just gotten better and wiser at communicating. Okay, this, I, I need time. This is not a big deal. I need time. Or this is a big deal and I need time. Yeah. And setting that expectation. But you, you can't take back some things. People yeah. can forgive you, but they don't forget it. Yeah. I think one thing that is really important in what you said is it is communication that's direct and clear on both aspects. If you're not letting them know when it is a big deal, then they never know when it's not a big and deal. And I've been either. horrible at that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You learn that lesson. And I'm not great at it either, but that's it, very true. It's, it's good. Um, last kind of question. We talked a couple weeks ago about kind of what it is that we're doing. Like, is there anything else that you kind of wanted to share or any thoughts you had about Varden over the past few weeks or like, what do you kind of want to end on? You know, we, we slightly touched on it. What I love about what you guys are doing and what's what's behind the brand and the thinking of, of just, you know, veering from tradition and just the, the whole Varden story is I it, it's easy to get sucked into what, what the norm is. But that doesn't change anything. Success is never found in what's easy, in what's comfortable, in what everybody else is doing. Yeah. And, and a core component of why we've been successful, it, it's maybe a horrible analogy, but I've, I've told our team for years, y- you don't become a hero by standing on the curb of a burning house. You want to change things. You want to impact stuff. You run in. Yeah. And you, you can't do it in a way that, that, that you don't make it out. Mm-hmm. But in, in the technology sphere... We, w- we wouldn't exist if these technology companies were great at customer service. Yeah. We exist because we're better at it. So when a company really sucks, we make, we make the ecosystem better by running into the, the problem, not running away from it, and then fix it. Yeah, that's awesome. I do feel like that's what we're trying to do too, right? I mean, we've seen a gap in the space, and it seems like when people are trying to veer from tradition... They're going like way overboard and they're like, all right, well, we've got to be really loud and we've got to talk about sex and drugs and we've got to bring like the party scene in. And it's like, no, there's this big gap that's exactly like you said, kind of calm and collected energy junkies, adrenaline junkies that are like, 
I want to work hard. I want to play hard and I want to over deliver. I want to do all of those things. There, there's such a gap in your space just to not, not to make it too personal, but I mentioned this to you. My, my son is a junior and in, over a course of, of two semesters, he, he created three new products that I've never seen in this space. He's not some genius of, of creation. He's not, you know, a, he, he's kind of a mix of creative and practice. But there's things that we haven't even been thought of in this space yet. Um, and, and so I, don't, I think it's just really easy to, hey, well, these guys did this, so I'm going to copy that. Yeah. But there's so many new things that, that, that boaters need, that, that just people need to make the experience easier, funner, mm-hmm. more inclusive, all of those things. And, um, and so I think there's all kinds of opportunities in product and, and just design and fun. Because um, like I said, my, my, this was kind of a project for him. Yeah. But to see him create stuff that then I go show my boating friends, they're like, dude, he should patent that. And yep. I will buy three. Yep. Um, it's just kind of the it, it's a it's an interesting aspect that I think is will be fun to see what you guys can can run into. Yeah. Well, thanks. Well, it's yeah. it's going to be a ride. It's going to be fun. A lot of the experiences and the experiences that you've been talking about, we're on the cusp of about to experience a lot of them. Um, and just like you said, it's going to be a long grind. But I think everyone that's here, we found a really special team so far, and we're looking for more that are that see the vision, but aren't afraid about working hard to make it happen. Because it is, just like you said, it's a long grind. And those that really enjoy that grind, just like runners or people that are climbing mountains or doing those other things, or the, they enjoy the journey as much as the peak. Right? And, and, and finding those people is critical, especially at this stage. You know, At our stage, I've got to almost be careful from an HR standpoint with one of my core fundamentals is my job is eight to five, my career and anything I've ever built that's changed the company is what I do after. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you're paying people an hourly wage or whatever, you, you can't say that. But I, it, people that I've seen that have, Josh LaPresta, who I already referenced, he's become who he became because he put personal time in reading the right books and dedicating himself to the right education outside of the eight to five. Yeah. And when you're grinding and you're building something, you've got to have people that are willing to, they get the vision of what they're building. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Well, I hope, uh, you know, future, you know, we can have you on again and we'll have our nice, you know, big <laughs> decked out studio and, you know, we can tell you about our journey and, you know, I, I'm excited to see what the future has and, and, and thanks for coming. I, we, we really appreciate yeah, it for you taking the time. Um, and doing this with us. So. Yeah, thank you guys. It's it's been fun, and it'll be fun to watch what you guys uh, build this into. Yeah. And you'll stay close. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to we be voting fun. anyway. Like I'm going to see yeah. you. Yeah. Today. We'll like, see you on the way. Like it's not. It's going to be easy. You know. So. The, the, the boat is Tolaris colors, so we, we stand out on the lake. So. Sweet. Nice. And it's a G. I'll be able to spot it from a mile away. So. Yep. <laughs> He'll hear it. He'll be like, "Hey, uh, I, yeah. I know the." Yep. Awesome. <laughs>